Hey everyone, welcome to Seeking What They Sought. I'm Jesse and I'm here with Sean and Randy Roberts, who is the uh, lead pastor of Loma Linda University Church. And uh, just full disclosure, I just wanna be as honest as I can here. Pastor Randy is is my boss, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say nothing controversial uh, today. I'm gonna be as straight as an arrow. You you better hope he hasn't listened Mercy. to any of the other uh, episodes. Then <laughs> no, I know that's that's part of the that's that's what I'm hoping. We're just uh, no, I've listened to him walking the beach down in San Diego. Area. I've enjoyed it a great deal. Oh wow, I actually didn't know that. I'm I'm glad to hear. So, <laughs> well, actually, I'm, I might be a little worried, but uh, but yeah. So Pastor Randy's here with us today. We um. We have been in the in the thick of a series called "What Is an Adventist," and mm-hmm. we've had the opportunity to talk with a lot of people. And Randy, you um, you serve as the the lead pastor for Loma University Church. You have been serving here for for how long now? Uh, almost twenty three years, right about twenty three years now. So twenty three years as the lead pastor of this church, and then before that, I guess just tell us like a little bit about your your journey. In I know you grew up an Adventist, so if you kind of want to tell us your journey up sure. until this point. Yeah, I grew up in an Adventist home. My parents uh, went overseas uh, as missionaries. Latin America was really where I was born and spent almost all of my growing up until college age, even though both of my folks were from Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, and that does feel like home in many ways. I grew up in different parts of Latin America. So, And then went to Keene, uh, where one of your friends here, Anthony Leiter, is now, I guess, working and figuring out ways to get into his house. Yeah, currently locked and, out of his house when he's supposed yeah, to be on the podcast. Yeah. Anthony is, yeah, for those listening, Anthony was supposed to be here. And for once, he was he was going to be on time, but he's locked out yeah. of his house. So. Hey, tell, him, yeah. tell him I know a guy. So, <laughs> um, so I went to school at Southwestern there in Keene, did seminary at Andrews, pastored for several years in the Texas Conference, and then came to Loma Linda. And uh, when I moved out here, my mom was worried. She said, isn't that where they have earthquakes? And I said, well, we'll just stay a couple of years, mom. And that was (laughs) a long time ago. So, (laughs) Yeah. So, but when you showed up here, you were not, you were not a pastor or you weren't serving in a pastoral role. Is that correct? No, I came from pastoring, but I worked as a chaplain in the medical center here. Spent about seven, seven and a half years there. And then another six, six and a half years teaching at the School of Religion and doing pastoral work part-time as well, and then came to the church. Now, Randy, you told me a story uh, yesterday that about just when you walked past the church one day and you said, oh, there's a Jesse. job I don't want. <laughs> I, You know, it's odd how sometimes we remember little snapshots in life. I don't know, maybe it's because I ended up here. I don't know if there's another reason, but I just have this distinct memory of walking up the mall here in Loma Linda toward the hospital. And that day, I don't know where I was coming from, but I walked right by the front doors of the church and just kind of glanced over the church and thought, man, I would hate to pastor that church. That would kill you. (laughs) (laughs) And Jesse, you and I were talking about how it's almost as though God listens for those never kind of statements and says, oh, really? Well, <laughs> and here you are, and and for twenty three years, and and you have, um, and I'm not just saying this because you're my boss. Um, I'm I'm not trying to suck up here. I, I mean this honestly. <laughs> just coming from other places that that um have their eyes and ears turned towards Loma Linda because Loma Linda happens to be sort of a 
one of the centers of Adventism. There's there seems to be a few, you know, Michigan or or over mm-hmm. in uh, on the East Coast with with uh, where the GC and the NAD are. Um, it, it's one of the centers of of Adventism, and as a result of that, it has it has a lot of influence in um, even just in its presence. You know, there's lots of people that tune in to, to Lumen University Church. I remember during COVID, especially there was you know you guys were the you guys were the the Adventist Church with the best production. So there's a lot of people turning their attention over here. Mm-hmm. Um, what has it been like to pastor? There's, there's not very many churches like this in Adventism. What has it like been like to pastor a church like this over the last twenty years? Wow, there's so there are so many ways, so many truthful ways to answer that question. It's been, it's kind of the uh, the Charles Dickens Tale of Two Cities line: "Is the best of times, it's the worst of times," you know, <laughs> and all the rest. It's a mixture of many things. It has been a joy and a delight, honestly. Uh, that has had significant challenges. But as you know, Jesse, from working here, we don't do anything without a team. Yeah, It is team ministry at its best. Mm-hmm. And so that's been one of my greatest joys is the team that works together. And it's been a delight to work together. So it's been a wonderful, great experience, but it has its challenges. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, so you, you have... Also, and we're going to get to this in, in a little while, but because, um, not just because of your position here, but also because of some of the stances that you've taken, there are some of, uh, you, you have, you have been in, in a lot of the front lines of what it means to, um, wrestle with the com- the conversation that we're talking about today, which is what is an Adventist? How do we, you know, is it the organization that defines it? Is, is it, is it people? What, what about, what, what do we do with all of this? But before we get into any of that, I'd just love to a- ask you the question. Um, if you had to define what an Adventist is, what, what is an Adventist to you? Wow. I think at its most basic, an Adventist is a disciple of Jesus with a particular, uh, I don't know if focus would be the right word, but with a particular eye toward the coming of Jesus. Adventism was kind of born in a whole group of people, as my friend Alex Bryan says, longing, yearning to be with Jesus. Uh, There's that deep passion to see him. So I think it's a disciple who has a particular passion to be with Jesus, to see Mm -hmm. him return. That's probably what I would say at the most fundamental Mm -hmm. level, because that then out of that grows everything else. Yeah. So for you, the central central idea is is a disciple, is of what I'm hearing. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think it starts with, obviously, with that call of Jesus on our lives to come to Him, to receive His grace, His salvation, uh, to walk with Him, to deepen in our journey with Him, to become more mature in that walk. And just like is true with any other kind of relationship, if you're long distance, your yearning is to be together. So is that is that journey with Him more deeply solidifies our hearts to his. There's a natural yearning to be together. So I think an Adventist is one who has that growing, deepening walk with Jesus that just yearns to be with him. Hmm. Man, that's, yeah, Anthony, or Sean, go for it. Well, I said Anthony. Yeah, I, I almost, well, I, I don't want to pick apart anything, right? Like, I don't want to get too far because I know we're going to get into some of the weeds of, well, not too far into the weeds, but get into mm-hmm. how we really look at Adventism. But one thing that came to mind, not for necessarily myself, but we've gone through a number of 
interviews now, or I, I, I should say discussions with other people mm -hmm. when it comes to their interpretation of what Adventism is. And one that comes to mind when I hear about that is, you know, this yearning for uh, the second coming, the, the yearning to be with Jesus. And some would, would maybe bounce back and say, oh, well, that, you know, all Christians believe in, you know, reuniting with Jesus and, and you know, uh, this this idea that we're gonna we're gonna get to go to heaven and of course you know our theology is um, you know when we when we die we don't go straight to heaven that there is this second coming there's this event that will happen in history at the end of time um, do you do you think that it's important for there to be a clear distinguishing unique definition of Adventism that that feels different from other denominations in Christianity or is that is it okay to have something that seems to be relatable to other groups? Because I would, I would say the way that you described it, and there's nothing wrong with this, it sounds like it would be very um, compatible with other denominations. And some people would say that's good, uh, and others would say that's a, that's a problem. We don't sound different enough. Um, and, and, you know, people are searching for you know, why even be an Adventist if right. if it's just the same thing as uh, a Methodist or, you know, a Lutheran or someone else, you know, is yeah. there, is it worth being Adventist? Right. If I could unpack something for just a couple of moments, sure. I might get closer to answering that yeah. uh, in a way that at least is meaningful to me. So the way I've thought of it, and somewhere along the way, I picked up the image of an inverted triangle. I don't even remember where this was, but thinking about this, I would say I think of it in terms of an inverted triangle with three levels within it. And this is how I would think of it in terms of Adventism in the midst of other Christian confessions. And then you could even do this in kind of a subset, an inverted triangle within Adventism itself. So if you have an inverted triangle with three levels, the bottom level would be the level of what you might call fundamentals. Mm -hmm. It's the smallest one, but it's also the foundations. The smallest because the least number of things fit here. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is that at that level, we would put the kinds of things that identify us as Christians, as Christ followers, that we have in common with the large body of other Christian confessions. Mm -hmm. There are obviously always some extremes that that would probably not be included here, but if you look at Christian confessions overall, so what would that be? I don't think there's a better iteration of that than Ephesians 4. Paul's seven ones, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, etc. Mm -hmm. He really covers the core issues there, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and all mm -hmm. that is included there. Uh, how we come to Christ, the faith, uh, the way we enter the body of Christ, which is through baptism, uh, the hope toward which we are all moving. Uh, it cover, in those sevens, it covers everything. And I think that largely those do bind Christians together, including us with others. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I wouldn't want to be different from other Christians at that level. Yeah, I think that is, that's key and core to all that we are. Mm -hmm. If a body doesn't include that. It's not a prejudicial kind of thing, but you would have to ask, well, then are you truly Christian in the true mm -hmm. sense of the New Testament concept mm -hmm. of Christian faith? I would move up one level. It gets a little wider. 
here it gets wider because there's more included here. Mm-hmm. And I would say at that level would be what I personally would say are convictions. Uh, convictions are those concepts or truths has been the word that's often been used that describe something about which I am deeply convicted. But there may be other Christians who are of deep and sincere faith who may differ with that conviction. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the most obvious and natural one is Sabbath. I know there are many Adventists who would place it at the fundamental level. And if you go to historic Adventist theology, then there is a sense in which that may move to that level right before the coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. But even in the most historic Adventist theology, it's not there now. Mm -hmm. So our little family had the magnificent privilege years ago because of a good friend of ours, physician in this community who knew him, to meet John Stott, who was one of the preeminent evangelical theologians of the 20th century. And on different occasions, we spent time in his flat in London and talked to him. And uh, our little family went out, just the four of us, and met him where he was spending his retirement years, about an hour train ride outside of London. A beautiful man, beautiful relationship. So take that relationship. Uh, John Stott and I would differ on Sabbath and Sunday. Hmm. Uh, And there are reasons I believe that. There are reasons, clear and distinct reasons of conviction for which I am Adventist, and that's Mm -hmm. one of them. Mm -hmm. He had a different conviction about how Sabbath and Sunday functioned and why he celebrated Sunday. I would never, ever question his Christian faith commitment, Mm -hmm. but we differed in that conviction. Mm -hmm. And I think as you move up there, you'll find a range of ways, and and many of those at that level, I would argue, are reasons I am Seventh-day Adventist. I can take you to Scripture and say, this is why I have this conviction. But I don't, I don't believe in telling other Christians or questioning their Christian commitment, their faith, their journey, or anything else, because we may have some differences at the level of conviction. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. to move to the top of it, the, the, the biggest one, the widest one, because the most things go in there, maybe you could call that preferences. Mm-hmm. And there are all kinds of preferences, everything from dress to adornment to music and worship style to all other kinds of things. We could probably, if we thought about it, well, come up with many. Yeah. yeah. I think the challenge becomes when we take that inverted triangle and turn it this way. Yeah. Yeah. And now the bottom line is the biggest one, and it has the mm-hmm. most stuff in it. Sure. Yeah. And that's where we, I think, as Adventists have gotten into real trouble. By the time you get up to the level of preferences, there are very few because everything has been covered at the bottom and the secondary level, yeah. and it makes us over against other people, yeah. other people of sincere faith in Christ. W- would, wow. you say, would you say that that flipping of the triangle is happening because of simply human nature's tendency to, to lose the focus of what the priority should be, or is there something within Adventism, whether it's institutional, uh, culturally, historically, that that seems to push us in that direction as a denomination. What, what leans us towards doing that? 
Yeah, I think it's probably a mixed bag. I think part of it is in our historic DNA. We were birthed in a world where, I mean, there wasn't even an Adventist in the sense that we're talking about it right now. It wasn't a denomination, right. didn't exist, but with the yeah. preaching of William Miller, the date setting, the coming of Christ, all of that, uh, people were getting thrown out of their churches. You know, mm -hmm. don't come back. We don't want you here. And I get yeah. that. We'd probably do the same today. <laughs> Not probably. We probably we would do the same today. So I understand that. But because of that, we were kind of born in that milieu that set us over and against others. Mm -hmm. uh, I like the way George Knight in his book, A Search for Identity, wrestles with that and talks about the maturing of Adventism. And as we become more mature, more comfortable in our own skin, as it were, we're able then to engage more with others mm -hmm. as true faith partners in many regards. Mm -hmm. uh, but historically, that was challenging. So I think that's one component of it. I think a second component probably is the penchant of any group to kind of say, well, we're, uh, we, we got it all together here. Yeah. I mean, you can see that at every level from sports to yeah. companies to churches to every other kind of thing. And then probably the last thing it seems to me as a part of that is when society and the world get fairly unstable and topsy-turvy, uh, people don't want something that's like, well, maybe this or maybe that. They want something that's nailed down, that's mm -hmm. nailed to the mm -hmm. deck. Uh, no gray areas here. So there's, a, I think, a tendency to do that as well. Yeah, it's it's the way that you describe that triangle. I don't think I've I don't know if I've heard it, it that way before, and that was really really good because it as soon as you said as soon as we flip it, I was like, oh, I've that there is all the feelings that I felt, you know, growing up in Adventism, where it felt like the preferences are what I was taught the most, <laughs> maybe, yeah. as opposed and, and with some of the convictions, and the convictions were kind of the second tier, and and we always would say that the, the that smallest triangle, the foundational elements were always there, but they definitely certainly weren't as talked about. I mean, I remember we've talked about this on the, on the podcast before, but like I got introduced to the gospel for real, like when I was 16, you know, mm -hmm. by this, this random, like <laughs> this ra it was, it was our Dean in high school, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> in my boarding Academy, like he just, this random dude from Hawaii who had a heart because he had, he firmly believed that in 1888, the, the Adventist, Adventist church had missed righteous by faith. Right. And I was like, and I look back at that and I'm like, I don't know when I would have heard it, you know, if it wasn't for something like that. Yeah. And so it, it is, and, and then the, the, the things that you shared that are um, some of the reasons I, I, it is very interesting that you said when we, when we are in that topsy turvy space, we want something nailed down. I, I think I would also say though, I think that we also have different personalities that want different things as well. And I feel like Adventism, I don't know if you share this, this unscientific claim, but, <laughs> but it feels like within Adventism that we tend to attract the, the people who are, who more tend towards certainty and, and, uh, uh, clearly defined, um, uh, lines, especially because I mean, like a lot of our preaching, a lot of a lot of the way that we were doing evangelism. I mean, literally, what we call evangelistic series mm -hmm. were built around let's attract people by by showing just how clearly defined our perspective of the future is. Right, and not so only that, but not only that, Jesse. Even early on, I don't remember when this stopped or. But within early Adventism, there was a season where even pastors, one of the things they would go do is literally like go publicly debate mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, other preachers yeah. like Sunday preachers. And like, imagine if we yeah. still really did that, you know, you, you see, <laughs> you see YouTube videos of like the Christians that will go out and do debates, debate, you know, yeah. like, like point of view interviews with people or others, you know, but like, imagine if that was still a thing, like culturally, like that was what we did. And, and there's a, a few scattered, you know, Adventist evangelists or those that have done that type of thing, like Doug Batchelor's yeah. done that kind of thing, but it's very rare yeah, uh, to see yeah. that. But that was, that was part of the culture for a while to do like, that was important. Like we need to show people what we're about and how it's different yeah, from the from, way that you from think. Everything else. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious about that, Randy. Do you, do you feel like there is an element of because of the ways that we have, have taught and attracted people or what continues to attract people, what has, what had continued to attract people was sort of that feeling of like, Hey, there is a certain level of certainty that this denomination has. Yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. And, and that does find an echoing chord in a lot of people's hearts who are looking for answers. And when the answers are very clear and very nailed down and there's no doubt on the part of the one delivering them, there is a certain appeal to that, yeah. especially in turbulent times. Yeah. If you're in a, on a ship at sea in a storm, you don't want a captain up there saying, well, maybe we do this or maybe we do that. <laughs> yeah. We vote yeah. on this. What do you all think? You know, you don't want right. that. You want somebody who has control and knows where the ship is going and knows how to get yeah. through this. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I just wish our certainty was much more in the realm of like those seven things that Paul talks mm -hmm. about the ones yeah. in, in Ephesians 4. Mm -hmm. So that things like the one hope to which he has called us, mm -hmm. which I think is probably Paul's way there of referring to the coming kingdom. Mm -hmm. To be clear mm -hmm. about our conviction, history is going somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, Christ will return. We have mm -hmm. something to live for at the end. Yeah. But honestly, we better be tentative about all the little details along the way because so many have gotten those wrong. And mm -hmm. our eternal destiny doesn't depend on the details being right. It mm -hmm. depends on the one who has saved us, is saving us, and will save us. Yeah. And so I, I just think being more assured, I'm not even sure I'd use the word certainty, being yeah. more assured about the right things mm -hmm. and a little more tentative about some of the things that that we have nailed down to the deck. <laughs> and, it, and it might make sense to us when you describe Ephesians 4 and those, those seven core focuses, but, but even then it just feels like, you know, again, the question is how do we get into alignment on that even fundamentally? I think there's so many that would, would claim that what we would see as the peripheral or um, the less essential core beliefs of Christianity and, and what would also be a part of Adventism they would say, no, like we would lose Adventism if we lost this piece and we would disagree about, is this part of the foundation or the, you know, the larger part of that triangle, right? Right. Uh, and, and it seems like we just go into, you know, we just, we're just talking in circles uh, with those things. We can't reach that consensus uh, within Adventism. At least it, it's, it seems like a struggle. So I don't know, in your experience as a pastor, have you found ways to, to cut through that discord in a, uh, not in a way again to like prove others wrong, right? We're, we, it's easy to get back into that temptation of wanting to debate and prove others like, you're right, this is the way you should think about things. But at the same time, you do want some of that clarity of like, if your claim is true that this is what we should really be focusing on as the foundation and everything else will build off from there, 
how do we get to that point? How do we how do we herd people into listen to that idea? It's a challenge. There's no question about that. I think you start by hiring people like Jesse, and uh, and then I, I don't know. About I'll take that. it. That, that was it. that was your that was your first mistake. Was, I think that was straight from Randy's mouth, John. You can't, uh, can't no, argue with it now. No, I, that's definitely not going in the highlights on Instagram. I will make I will make sure of that. You know, it's a really good question because. Um, I think this is one person's, one pastor's opinions. Let me give you a story first. So years ago, my wife and I were visiting the country of Brazil. Her parents lived and worked there at the time. And uh, the national airline at that time had a fare that you could fly all over Brazil. So we visited a lot of Brazil. And one of the places we went was Manaus. Manaus is a city, really, on the Amazon River. So we took an Amazon River tour, and it was a great experience. When we left Manaus, when we flew out of Manaus, we looked down, and you can see where the Amazon River and the Rio Negro, the Black River, come together. And you can find pictures of this all over on online. Um, the interesting thing is the Rio Negro, the Black River, is black. It's very dark. The Amazon is more like a milk chocolate color. Mm. These two come together. And as far as you can see, and I'm told this is true all the way to the sea. I didn't see that, but as far as I could see, they never mix. There <laughs> is literally a line that the Black River's here and the Amazon is here, and it's two rivers within the same bank mm -hmm. that don't join together. Mm -hmm. Somebody was telling me recently that if you take water from each river and put it in a bucket, it will do the same thing. It just, wow. it just will not, because of reasons that are beyond my pay grade, yeah. Yeah. it will not join together. There is an element of that within Adventism. And when you look at our history and certain key points, Jesse, you mentioned 1888, or you go to the 1919 Bible Conference, or questions yeah. on doctrine, or M.L. Andreasen or Last Generation Theology or Gospel-focused, all the rest, it just seems to me that there is a sense that there are two rivers within one bank, that no matter how much work we do, the fundamental realities are just different enough that while we share some things deeply in common, I just wonder if we will ever be able to see some of these yeah. things in the same ways. Yeah. And I think that hovers over and affects everything else. Yeah. yeah. So well, that's, that's I mean, interesting. Yeah. That that brings up the question, so who who defines Adventism? <laughs> I mean, we we've we've had these conversations and, and I mean is it is it us as people? Is it the general conference? Is it um yeah, like who who defines what an Adventist is? Yeah, that's a tough question because part of me wants to say it's it's people like you two and me and other people here in this church and other churches and so forth, just the body of believers. Yeah. And I think that's a, a fair approach that is clearly a part of it. At the same time, there has to be some kind of definition that is in common enough that you you're able to actually state this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be some kind of coming together. That was the struggle of early Adventism, a very anti-creedal group. Yeah, We don't want a group. Yeah. You've probably seen the J.N. Loughborough quote about that, one of the strongest uh, quotes, I think, in early Adventism. 
in opposition to a creed. And yet, as they grew, they realized, if we don't have something, something that we've yeah. kind of agreed on and coalesced around and, and say, this is who we are, then it's just going to be chaos. Mm-hmm. And, and so there is that part of it, too. So the unfortunate reality is that for us, it has gotten very removed from the people, mm-hmm. uh, which is a sad reality. Uh, at the same time, when you get as big as Adventism is, it's really hard to try to do it in some other way. Yeah. So it's, it's a complex reality. So who defines it? Hopefully the Spirit's work in the lives of people who come together and say, what do we confess? What do we hold in common from Scripture? And let's state that as openly as we can, clearly as we can but not make it so ironclad that it becomes a creed. Because if we do, we violate the very spirit in which we were founded. Hmm. It's that kind of tension between those two realities. See, um, I'm okay with that tension. I don't think a lot of other people are. (laughs) I don't don't say that to say, say, okay, I'm I'm so much, obviously so much better. But uh, I mean, I, I say that to say that like, it's actually something we've run into over the course of the conversations we've had around this. And, and I mean, I think this is present in almost every religious conversation that, that there is a gray area, there's nuance, there is the difficulty of the reality of who human beings are, that it would be really nice if we had one definition. And yet, even within that one definition, there is, I think you've, you've been doing a series on Revelation and you said, Revelation is especially difficult with this, but you said if there's, mm-hmm. or if there's six scholars, you'd have eight different opinions. You know? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but but I mean, it's you take that into into it feels like you know even if you have a statement of belief, say one of the one of the twenty eight fundamental beliefs, there's even even with the wording, there's different opinions about the words, and there's different. Right. So it, it I I agree, but what 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 do we say to to the 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 response that would be something along the lines of like, well, there has to be something very concrete, or else, you know, like anybody can be you know, included if you just fudge the language enough. Right. So I don't know if there's an answer to that, but it's just kind of a curious. Yeah, I think if I go to a website, I did this just yesterday or day before of a church that I'd heard about. So I just went to check out their website. And one of the first thing I did was click on the link that says a statement of beliefs, or Mm -hmm. I don't remember what they called it, but something like that. Just because I wanted to know who are you? What do you stand for? What, What do you confess? What do you believe? So I think any body of believers has to have some kind of answer to that question. This is who we are. This is what we believe. Uh, I, for a long time, I don't have a great suggestion, but (laughs) I wish I did. But I, for a long time, thought it's unfortunate, number one, that our statement is as long as it is, Hmm. 28. That that certainly would not be the spirit of our pioneers. (laughs) And secondly, a list is is tough mm-hmm. because a list to me almost by virtue of the fact that it is a list implies either uh, a sense of priority number one's most important number two's mm. next number three's next and by the time you get 28 that's not very important <laughs> and we're not saying that yeah. or a list implies they're all the same mm. and i certainly hope we're not saying mm. that mm. certainly yeah. hope we're not yeah. saying that that how we dress or what we eat is in equal importance as the atonement mm, or the coming kingdom of God. 
you articulated that in a way that I don't think I've been able to, but it rang true as soon as you did. Yeah, it is interesting because you have the statement around like Christian lifestyle that is in the same list. You know, if we are saying that they are they are equal in in belief uh, uh, importance, which I don't know if anyone would say it, but it, you're right; it is implied. God, and then, because then on the other side you have like you know our belief on Jesus and God and the Spirit and the Trinity, and it's like that's a different level of importance and absolutely. foundation foundation foundational elements versus the the others so yeah. my I, friend and and former colleague when we were both at the school of religion rick rice in his class on adventist beliefs would would draw three concentric circles you know one two and three mm-hmm. and then he would ask his students they'd been through enough of adventist belief at that time that even if they weren't sda they had a good sense of what we believe and he said okay I want you to put what's most important in the center circle, mm-hmm. what's next in importance here, and then what's more peripheral out here. Very interesting exercise. <laughs> to me, it sound, that seems like a, a really good way to approach it mm-hmm. because either of the other two implications of a list, I think, are problematic. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot more sense. And I feel like I, I think that is a bit of what people are kind of crying out for and is, wait, there's some things that feel as fundamental to Adventism as some of the other stuff that feels like you said would be in the, that bottom circle. But then we've, we've taken some of the, what was the second tier that you said? It was the foundational and then convictions, convictions that we've taken convictions and put them in foundational and then, and even preferences to some degree, it feels like, I mean, when you get, um, uh, pastor or elder Ted Wilson preached a sermon about like how, we shouldn't have rock music in our churches or churches that are, or, or music that's in the world. And you're just like, it, it is, it is very interesting because I don't get the sense, even though I think even elder Wilson would say that's not as important as like the gospel and as Jesus, it feels across the board that those Perception. things get lumped into the same level of importance around what it means to follow Jesus as it would be to say, I believe in Jesus. Yeah. I, I think that is thing. a real risk. Yeah. And if we get that wrong, we're in real trouble because then you end up with, there's no way you can get away from the fact then that you end up with a major emphasis on something that's very minor mm-hmm. or should be very minor. And that kind of, of emphasis can then harden into, you know, harden into uh just this legalism that's very damaging yeah. and people get damaged and then they don't want anything to do with church, this yeah. one or any other one. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Also, Sean, it sounds like you're, uh, you're, you need to go to class. That's what that sounds like. I just finished teaching oh, my I... first day of school. Uh, oh, nice. So my, this was a great time for recording because my voice is shot, but uh, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah. Well, I, so I, was I gonna... thought that was Anthony ringing the doorbell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> He's still trying He's to get still in. still not here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Randy, you're an interesting person to talk to in this series because you have been on the front lines of that tension between what it looks like to be part of an organization and yet to disagree on some some pretty, what have become pretty important lines. Um, You have been someone who has been very, uh, very vocal about your belief that women's ordination is, is, um, is, actually, I don't want to, I don't want to say that the, the, what, I don't want to say anything for you, but rather you have been very supportive of women in ministry and, and them being ordained. And 
that is sort of at the core of what we kind of talk about of who gets to define Adventism. I mean, obviously we've had a vote on this at the, uh, at the uh, world church level and it went the way of, of, of not ordaining women. Um, but then we run into the reality that the church in America is different from the church in Europe, which is different from the church in Asia and different from the church in Africa and so on. And, so, so you we wrestle with that tension, and then you also wrestle with convictions. You know, is is women's ordination and the foundational elements, is the convictions, is the preferences. It, you wrestle with all of this stuff, and yet you have just the real world experience of having been on the front lines of that. Um, how how do you reconcile being part of an organization and yet disagreeing in a pretty intense way with something like that? Yeah. It's painful. It's very painful. Uh, I don't like conflict. I don't like it in my home. I don't like it in friendships. I, it just, it's not my thing. I don't enjoy being angry or having people angry at me. Yeah. But that's a part of life, and, and you just kind of have to face it. Uh, thing that flashed through my mind just now was when I was teaching at the School of Religion, I actually worked in the dean's office with Jerry Winslow uh, as his associate dean. And when the University Church Search Committee started to talk with me about possibly coming into this role, Jerry knew me pretty well, and he knew that I much prefer to stay in the background and kind of listen and so forth. He said something to me at that time that I have never, I can't tell you how many times I've thought about this and wished it weren't true, but when the conversation got a little more serious, he looked at me one day and said, you realize if you take this, you will no longer be able to hide. <laughs> and man, there have been so many times I've wanted to run and hide. <laughs> so the first thing I would say is it's painful. Anytime yeah. you have uh, strife and deeper conflict between people who care about each other, it's, it's not fun. And I came to the point, I uh, forget how many years ago, but a number of years ago now, going back and walking into the I guess they call it the worship room or whatever it is there at the GC where annual council is held. I got to the point walking into that room for another annual council and you could just feel the tension in the mm -hmm. room and just everybody was stretched tight. I just thought, oh, here we go again. And uh, I just really did not like that at any level. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't fun, but I think it was necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, and here, here's the challenge with it is I know that Elder Wilson and I differ on that, or last time we had any reason to have exchanges over, we differed. I assume we still do. But the curious thing is because of what Adventism is and where Adventism is, I'm not sure if he was strongly in favor of women's ordination, if it would have made all that much difference. So the, unless it's changed dramatically just in the last couple of years, and I'm sure it has not, the, the Adventist population, so take the North American division, which includes mm -hmm. the U.S., Canada, Guam, and I don't remember what else, mm -hmm. uh, North American division, Western Europe, and Australia, New Zealand, mm -hmm. all of that makes up about 7% of the world membership. Yeah. About seven yeah. percent. I didn't realize it was that small. So, Sean, get to class. <laughs> Every single Adventist 
in those areas of the world could vote passionately in favor of women's ordination in addition to many, many others, and it still wouldn't pass. Yeah. Uh, So what breaks us is that you get to either extreme on this continuum, the place where there is no gray area, if that's where you live, it'll break us on Mm. any issue. Hmm. It, you you can't get through things if you're on this end or on that end, yeah. because people dig in and this is it, and I'm not flexing. Mm-hmm. This is a matter of conscience. I won't budge. There is no way forward. <laughs> and so that's what makes it painful. Unless you're willing to move toward the other person, move somewhat toward the center and realize I'm not going to get everything I want here. I'm not even going to get everything I'm convicted about here. Hmm. But the church is made up of human beings. And any of us, and I've asked myself this question, I think it's an essential question to ask. If I'm wrong, then what? Hmm. And I guess my answer to that question is, if I'm wrong, and I don't think I am, or I wouldn't be holding the position Hmm. I hold, but I have to admit I may be. Hmm. If I'm wrong, I want to be wrong on the side of love, not the side of law. Hmm. And so... Hmm. Hopefully that allows us to move a bit toward the center, and then we can actually talk and try to work through because uh, bodies of people do not change quickly. And for many of the people who were at that time in that conversation very drilled down, they were drilled down culturally, I was convinced, even more than theologically. Mm. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard when the water you swim in has a certain way of viewing this Mm -hmm. to distinguish that from what might be theological or biblical. It's just hard to do that for all. It's hard for me. It's hard for all of us. (laughs) I I like when you say, because I I resonate with you saying, err on the side of love over law. That in itself creates problems with Adventism even. Because, and and not that I disagree with it, I, I, I love that approach. But some would perceive that again as a, and I hate using the term liberal, but a, a liberal approach to how to interact with others. And, and the reaction from, from some within the church would be to uphold the law, to uphold what, what is perceived as this is clear in the Bible, right? It's, it's four words that I've come to. The Bible not, is clear. <laughs> I, I don't love those four words. I really don't. And I hear it. The more I've thought about those words, the more I hear it in Adventism. And I'm like, why do I hear this everywhere? And it just yeah. doesn't. I get that we talked about earlier that there's something about that clarity that brings peace, you yeah. know, when we talk about assurance. But we're using it beyond assurance where it's like, this is without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, you know, and anything else would be would be compromising the truth, you know. And, and there's a series of, of things that would be quoted about the elect being deceived and, you know, the end times that, you know, the wheat mm-hmm. from the tares, whatever. It's the, you know, the yeah. it, it, there's something so ingrained within Adventist DNA, at least in, in many spaces, that even your statement uh, about, you know, erring on the side of love, people would kind of cringe at that and say, well, no, but God's law is the essence and the, and the definition of love. Yeah. And that if, if we err on the side of love in that, way that you define it, um, we are defining love in our own terms and we're going to become Babylon. We're going to become chaotic. And, and what the world says is love 
and erring on the side of love is tr- really not loving. It's it's actually going to lead towards you know damnation and destruction. Yeah. And so that's the fear. Is even mm-hmm. with that simple statement that I resonate with that you said, it brings fear in people's hearts because they they're scared that that's going to lead down this slippery slope of not really defining God's true love, and and doing it the way of the world. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think it's very scary, and I think that. What can save us from that, if people will do it, is two things. One is just keep reading your Bible, and two is keep reading Ellen White. I remember being shocked one day when I was at School of Religion with one of my, to use your term, Sean, most liberal colleagues, (laughs) one day in our uh, faculty meeting said, the because we were talking about some things that were dealing with fundamentalism and progressivism and all of that. He said, the only thing that's going to save this church from fundamentalism is reading Ellen White. Wow. I remember I, I, I thought, whoa, I could have understood that from a lot of people, but not from you. <laughs> and uh, it took me years to understand what he meant by that. And where I have come to, and some of the things I'm struggling with right now, I just keep reading the Bible, just keep reading it, and just just keep reading through and going back and reading through and just watching what's happening and watching the trajectory of where, where God is going in Scripture and letting mm-hmm. each era of biblical, the biblical narrative speak for itself. And slowly things become increasingly clear in the big picture. Mm. Um, so that sounds like an odd thing to say, maybe, but I think that is what will save us. And I think mm. you're exactly right. I think it's scary. Yeah. It's scary to people. I wouldn't have expected that. I, for, I like the, the Ellen White one especially. But um, <laughs> it, it it's it's a... <sighs> we had a conversation with elder Wilson and um, much of what he said was, I mean, when we talked about what is an Adventist, he had a very theological approach to describing, you know, like we believe in Jesus and going through all of that. Um, Obviously the conversation, you know, ended up in spaces where we start talking a little bit more about, um, he really wanted to talk about how, how we view and treat scripture, which is something we couldn't get to in the time that we had, but I would love to have that conversation, but it does, it does, it is an interesting journey for for us as Adventists because we've had a, a way of looking at Scripture that I think is is not unique, but maybe different from some other places. Um, for instance, you, you get to something like historicism. It's how we how we uh, how we look at biblical prophecy and how it's 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 these things that speak to their time, but also have have uh, their iterations all throughout all throughout history. Um, and we've talked about uh, women's ordination, and you could you could read the Bible one way, um, and then come out with that. But then maybe other people come out with a, a more complementarian or a complementarian or egalitarian uh, approach to it. Um, there's all these different things, and one of the reason I bring this up is because I think on the more traditional side, there is this sort of falling back onto what I might call a fundamentalist approach to to scripture. The, the scripture is clear, as Sean said. Scripture is clear. We just need to go back, keep reading the Bible, and we're going to come to pretty much those same conclusions. <laughs> um, and we will continue to hold those 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 conclusions, even though God could theoretically, you know, like reveal new new light to us. But but really what it is is we're going to kind of keep going back to that. 
there's a there's the other approach, which is what people might call the liberal or more liberal pro- approach, which is like we approach it and we say, hey, we've always thought in a historicist way, but let's still question that. And we've always thought that, you know, Paul said women shouldn't speak in church, but let's let's challenge that a little bit and kind of see where we come out. And and there's that approach, which is definitely scarier. But and I would dare say that you're probably more in, on that side of the approach, just from conversations that we've had than than the previous. But but it's scary because, I mean, you've been a pastor for a long time. You know how people feel. It's like as soon as we start doing that, we might lose our beliefs. We might compromise. We might get out. So, how, what is your heart towards? Okay, we still want to honor where we've come from and how we've read scripture and what we've perceived to be true. But moving into the future, not with the heart of let's compromise and do what we want, but still having the approach of like, we still need to actually wrestle with this stuff and not just say, well, it's settled and has always been settled. Right. What's your, what's your heart in that? One of the early Adventist, I guess I would call it commitments, was a commitment to present truth. Mm-hmm. And many have talked and written about this, and I think they make very good points in saying that the concept of present truth means we have to ask what is not just timeless about truth, but what is timely about it. Mm-hmm. What is it that it's speaking into today's world and time? And so at early Adventists, that's part of why they were opposed to a creed, is they wanted to stay ever aware of present truth, what is timely about it. In other words, what it's saying to me, to you in 2023, is not, in my view, going to contradict what it may have said in 1923, but it may grow and adapt and change in ways that I could not have seen at that time. Mm. And in that sense, you can almost say the past means more than it meant, because what they were drilling down on now has, we're seeing other realities growing out of that, Mm. that are the fruit of that at that time. And so that's part of why I say, one of the things I, I've been watching for as I'm reading scripture this year is sadly a bad word in the, in the vocabulary of some, but it's the word trajectory. Hmm. And that is, what is the trajectory of scripture? What is God's trajectory yeah. as you read through scripture? Yeah. Because it will not cover everything. And there are issues we're going to have to wade into and seek to resolve. So when it's not covering that, or it's covering it in a way that in today's world, we literally say, I can't go there, then Mm -hmm. what do we do with that? Mm -hmm. So maybe the most penetrating example is the example of slavery. Scripture simply does not condemn slavery. Yeah. Old or New Testament. Paul mm-hmm. does not condemn it. In fact, you could argue that he actually condones it. Mm-hmm. The closest he comes is with Philemon, you know, yeah. taking back as a brother like, like it's me, but yeah. he's still sending him back. Yeah. So if somebody says, no, we just take Scripture as it reads, and that's all, the end of it, that can lead you to some pretty bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So sure. then you have to ask, so what is the trajectory? When Paul writes Galatians 3.28, what implications does that have for the future? And how might that change 
the way I live, interpret, and understand that issue today. Yeah. It's estimated there were 60 million slaves in the first century world of the Roman Empire. <laughs> Jesus never made a statement about it. Yeah. Paul seems to condone it. So if we're going to be true to Scripture in the sense that we say, okay, this is it. Yeah. We got some problems. Yeah. Yeah. So I think trajectory is a very important question to ask. I I I personally fall into that into into that direction because it's like you're right. I mean, we don't know how to deal with with a lot of this stuff. I mean, for one one of the things that I've always found kind of funny um or recently in the last few years found kind of funny is for instance, like smoking, smoking is never condemned in scripture. We, we take the principle of, you know, your body is a, is a temple, mm-hmm. um, but smoking is never condemned. And then we'll even not baptize people over it because it's a sin, but it's not mentioned as a sin anywhere else. In fact, other things that are sins that are mentioned, <laughs> people are, <laughs> are you a gossip? Well, we'll still <laughs> baptize you, but, um, or even it, even literally like connected to that one, we put other things into our bodies that aren't good for us, yeah. that can lead to complications health wise. Yeah. But we don't. We wouldn't, you know, not baptize you if you ate five brownies before your baptism. You know, and and it sounds silly, but you understand. I, it's I the, was what, with you all till that stage. Yeah, well, well, I may look, have to just check out here. Listen, listen. <laughs> I'm I'm pro brownie. I am pro brownie. Uh, there's some in the workroom for me after this uh, this uh, interview, so we need to we need to wrap this up. But uh, no, but it's to me, and and some disagree with this, but to me, it's the same principle. To me, it's yeah. the same principle of, I you know, yes, health matters, right? And mm-hmm. we can we can say that that's important to Adventism. Yeah. Um, but it, it's ironic that sometimes we have fixated so much on it that we've actually lost the value and turned people away from the value of the message itself. Yeah, absolutely. That that when it's, yeah, sorry, I know I digressed there, Jesse, but I wanted to connect it to what you said (laughs) about smoking, that the, when it comes to baptism, you know, like that's actually a bigger thing and I'll let you keep going, but I'd be interested to talk about baptism. Well, I, I, the reason I bring it up is because it's, it's, we're already doing that with the text. I mean, it's conservatives, <clears throat> traditional people in traditional spaces are already doing that with the text where they're, they're adding a, they're, or they're, they're treating certain things in our modern world differently because we don't have clear specific commands, you know, one way or the other towards it. Um, but it, it, it is, it is sort of a, a weird space to be in where when someone's trying to say like, Hey, I think that the God of love you know, poured out his spirit onto, onto, onto Gentiles and the, the Jewish people following Jesus didn't know what to do with that. So they like, okay, we're going to let him in. But, um, uh, and then, and then, you know, today we might say it's the spirit of God is, is poured out on women who are, uh, just women in general, but also specifically we're seeing it in the context of women who are in ministry. It's like, well, how, what are you going to argue with there? But it, it, what it feels like is that we're willing to, everyone's willing to mess with scripture to a certain degree. Um, so like, I guess for, 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 for you, Randy, there's, there's the, how, like, how do we stay in the guardrails of that? What, what is, what is, a, what are the principles that say, let's maintain the, the goodness of scripture without trying to mess with it unduly? Um, cause we're all doing it in our own ways, but yeah, how do we do that? Yeah, that's that's both a difficult and a scary endeavor. So yeah. the scary part of it is if I honestly come to a text and put aside preconceived notions, 
it can be frightening of where that might lead me, that might conflict yeah. with something I hold dear, something I believe. So it, it can be a bit frightening. It can also yeah. be a bit difficult because it's the more you read Scripture, the easier it is to develop blind spots. But I think underneath all of that is how we understand Scripture itself. And this is one of the, one of the, I have a list of reasons that are important to me as to why I'm Adventist. Yeah. This is one of them, and that's how we understand Scripture. Mm-hmm. So the way I put it years ago in a sermon series, and I'm not asking you to answer this, I'm not trying to lead anybody out on a limb, but, but just think about this. Uh, in terms of how you understand Scripture's inspiration, how it was inspired, mm-hmm. yeah. were the Bible writers more like court reporters or more like news reporters? So my hmm. sister was a court reporter for many years, and I used to just be in awe that she could sit at this little machine and listen to us and come out with a manuscript of that at the yeah. end of wow. the at yeah. the end of the sessions, like. How, how do you do this? I don't understand yeah. this. That's how some understand Scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we know that a news reporter, with its certain exceptions of maybe interviewing a witness or something like that, we know that with the news reporter, if this is, let's just assume, an honest, diligent, hardworking news reporter who's not allowing his or her biases to lead them in a certain direction. They're just trying to give us the, the story as truthfully as they can. Mm-hmm. We nevertheless know that what they're sharing with us is their words mm-hmm. describing yeah. what they saw, heard, experienced. Mm-hmm. But it is coming through this personality. Yeah. And so we have an Adventism, and this goes back to the river, the two rivers within one bank where Ellen White comes down very firmly on the side of news reporter. Hmm. But we have too many in leadership and pastoral leadership who I don't know how they would articulate it, but when I listen to them, read them, experience what they're saying, it is clearly in the court reporter Mm -hmm. category of how Mm -hmm. Scripture comes to us. And when that becomes the case, we have a whole host of other problems we've got to resolve. Yeah, And that is not Adventist. Just read the first mm-hmm. probably 30, 40, 50 pages of first selected messages. Mm-hmm. Ellen White is utterly clear there. The Bible writers are not God's pen. They're mm-hmm. God's penmen. It yeah. is not the words that are inspired. It's the right. writers who were inspired. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Utterly clear on that. And that's the kind of reason I say reading Ellen White will save us from fundamentalism because yeah. she herself is saying that. But yeah. then you, in addition, have that not only those who believe Scripture was written that way, but believe Ellen White wrote that yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. And so then yeah. you no longer have the opportunity, not the opportunity, but the, the necessity to take Scripture and interpret it for today, which is present truth. Mm-hmm. You just read it, and if that's what it says, that's what you do. Yeah. And uh, it leads us into some real difficult yeah. times. Yeah. Randy, I, I know you have to leave here in a couple of seconds. So I, I'm curious um, if we could just end on this. When you th- when you think into the future of Adventism, 
Um, I know, I know you're, you're probably, you're near retirement and I'm sure you're, you're just counting down the days. Until, <laughs> are you, are um, you saying he's old, Jesse? No, I'm not, I'm, no, I'm saying, I'm saying I, that he's done a really good work is what I'm saying. I, I um, think he's probably the average, uh, Adventist, median Adventist age in North America right now. So, you know, that's, that is true, but actually, yeah, the other's also true. So that tells you something. <laughs> that's, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, that's right. Je- Jesse, go, go. Um, I'm just wondering, when you look forward, what is your hope for Adventism? Yeah, I hope Adventism just is increasingly populated by people whose deepest yearning and passion is Jesus and who he was, is, uh, and where he leads us and guides us, and that things matter to us because they matter to him, Hmm. and they matter relationally and, and not legalistically. I was thinking a moment ago, one of you, I forget which one of you was talking about the health piece. And I was just thinking, you know, as, a, as Anita, my wife and I, as my beard has gotten a little more gray, we've gotten a lot more interested in our health. Yeah. And it, that is true because we love being together and we want to be there for each other and we want to yeah. be healthy for each other. It's not some legalistic thing that I have to do to feel right with God. It's in our best Mm -hmm. interest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it grows out of the gratitude for what God has created us to be, how he's grown us, how he's blessed us. I hope Adventism is that, that it's a thriving community Mm -hmm. that is Jesus-centric and that Mm -hmm. because things matter to Jesus, they matter to us. Man, I love that vision. (laughs) Well, thanks so much, Randy. I appreciate it. And uh, It's a privilege. And... uh, I really hope that um, that what you are are saying is is the future of Adventism. I mean, you can I, we all I know have our feelings about what might happen or might not happen, but but I can say that I feel I, I hope that that is the case. Yeah. So thank you all very yeah, much. Yeah. Thank you. Well, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Seeking What They Sought. Before we rush to a close, wanted to just pause and say thank you. We are really, really grateful for you all, not only for listening, but for all the conversations that we've been having recently uh, from emails and messages, DMs, uh, text messages you've sent us if you know us. Uh, we are just really, really grateful for those conversations. They're the reason we did this podcast and uh, we're just really, really uh, grateful for you all. So please, if you haven't, if you have thoughts and you haven't reached out, uh, please uh, send us an email um, or send us uh, just a DM on Instagram or, uh, or you know, drop a comment under one of the, one of the posts. We would love to have conversations and uh, hear what you think. Now, if you didn't know, we actually have a Patreon. Uh, it's something that we mentioned uh, during the off-season, but we really, really wanted to up the ante and be a little more intentional, a little more professional uh, going forward with this new series and going forward with the podcast in general. So we have started a Patreon. There are some fun, cool perks that you get for signing up. It's going a long way to, to help us make more content like this uh, for you guys, and we, we really appreciate it. So if you want to support us, you can hit up the Patreon. There's a link in our, our, our bio on Instagram. And uh, we would be really, really grateful. Well, I think that's just about it. So we will see you guys next time on Seeking What They Saw.